0: This is The Big Electron. I'm Jackie. I'm Adam. I'm Madeline. And I'm Anahita. Thank you for subscribing and please rate us on iTunes.
1: Is it true that you can leap over a chair from a standing position? It depends on the size of the chair. Uh, I'll cheat a little bit. The Big Electron. The Big
0: Electron.
1: I have cheated very badly, you see. How the cosmos,
2: cosmos. That swallow entire stars Nothing
0: is more seductive
2: <laughs> Yeah! Are you feeling it now, Mr.
0: Krabs? Are you feeling it? Of
2: course you feel it. Now what do you want to know? What I want to know is what's
1: going on. I think it's time to blow this thing Get everybody in the stuff together Okay, three, two, one, let's jam
3: Good evening,
2: ladies and gentlemen. We've got a great job for you tonight. Let's get right to it.
4: All right, welcome to The Big Electron. Thanks for listening. I'm Jackie. I'm Adam. I'm Madeline. And I'm Anahita. And we have a really cool show for you today. Uh, Just a reminder that you can... If you have any questions or comments or suggestions, you can reach us here on Studio by texting us at 573-882-8262. You can also find us on Facebook, or you can email us at thebigelectron.kcou at gmail.com.
0: So today, we have a really (laughs) great guest with us. So this week is Open Access Week, and um, as a part of that, we invited Grace Adkins, who's a user engagement
2: librarian. Yes. Did I picture
0: that? No, that was that's my title. So welcome.
2: We're happy to have you here, Grace. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about open access week.
3: Is open access week like shark week for science or I guess academics? For librarians.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. For all academics, but especially librarians.
0: <laughs> so can you start by just giving us an overview on what is open access?
2: Man, I'm excited to talk talk about open access, but it's also just such a huge thing. It's, I guess the most basic definition, it's a giant movement um, that makes scholarly information easy to access, um, free to access, and free to share. But there are so many different ways to do that, and it means different things for different disciplines. And I actually have a humanities background. So I'm kind of excited to talk to you guys today and learn more about what open access looks like in your discipline and what it means for you. Um, But this movement started, it really took off in the 90s. I mean, it, it goes back further, obviously, like having more affordable access to information has always been an issue, but it really became a huge thing with the internet taking off in the 90s and then the early 2000s and scholarly journals started to um, charge more and more and more and the inflation rate is insane for scholarly journals. I think it's like 200,000% increase over the past several years. It's just really huge increases of cost of journals. So open access kind of cuts down on that cost, cuts out the publisher's role, decreases their role a little bit more. Um, That was a really sloppy definition. (laughs) So let's like dive in with more specific questions, please.
3: Uh, So I have a question. When you say that the, the kind of cost has
2: gone up, who bears that cost burden? So the person, the academic submitting the article to a journal... There's fees involved usually, so that's the scholar. And then the user accessing that work. And that can be an institution accessing it, like a library, or it can be an individual researcher or a researching group. So basically, um, a scholar, a professor, a researcher, what have you, writes an article, pays a publisher to get it published, Um, but they do the work for free. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the user, who oftentimes is that Professor's own library then has mm. to pay to access it. Wow! So why would you not cut out the middleman? Yeah.
4: So is that fee the the one that the scholars have to pay? Is that uh, happens every time you want to publish, or does it only happen when you're publishing in open access journals?
2: So in open access journals, um, there's green and gold open access journals. Are you familiar with those terms? No. no. Okay. So a green open access journal. No fees at all, no fees for the person submitting the content or for the peer reviewers or for the person accessing it. But a gold journal, um, there's usually a fee of just like the cost of server maintenance. I mean, a really Mm -hmm. standard base fee um, for the person submitting for the researcher, but then there's no fee for anyone in the world to access the information once Mm -hmm. it's published.
4: Yeah. But there are very few open access journals compared to all the other academic publishing journals that we have nowadays.
2: So there's more and more every year. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are thousands now, but I think one of the big issues here is quality, not quantity. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so much more prestigious to publish in a tier one journal that's been around for decades, centuries, depending Mm -hmm. on the journal. Um, and these new ones—they're so new that even if the peer review process is there and it is high quality, when you're going up for tenure, w- you know what do you want to people look see, at you know, where, on your CV? where you published? Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm.
4: So um, one of the one of the main issues, and I know I don't know how it works in the humanities, um, so you can help us with this, but. So we have, uh, I think before we we dive too deep into this, um, we should probably explain how publishing works. So you as a researcher do the research, you write an article, and then you decide to... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to
0: say, if we go back to the beginning, so you as a researcher apply for a grant. So you create this proposal Mm -hmm. of all this stuff you're going to do, and then you get awarded money Mm -hmm. by a granting agency, and then you have to use that money to then do the research.
4: Right. Uh, a lot of a lot of researchers, especially the ones in public universities like Mizzou, uh, generally get funded via the National Institutes of Health, mm-hmm. NIH, or the National Science Foundation, NSF, or a whole bunch of other ones that come from taxpayer money. Yes. So you get a grant and you get money uh, to conduct your research and you have a finding, you have something, and then you decide to publish it because, I mean... What's the point of discovering or studying something if you're not sharing it with the world? Of
0: course. We want to develop things to, you know, stimulate growth mm-hmm. for yeah. all
1: humans. That's you mean we're not just doing this to keep secrets for ourselves? <laughs> <laughs>
4: okay. Gosh, yeah. I have the
1: worst secrets Someone, then. <laughs> someone should have told me uh, before. <laughs>
4: So once, so once you do that, uh, then you write an article, and then you want to publish it. And as Grace was saying, you want to publish it in, an, in a good journal, and in mm-hmm. a journal that's well respected in your area or in your field, um, because people look at where you're publishing it and where your, yeah, where your research is being read, so that you can be like, yeah, I, but the stuff that I'm doing is good, and you should care about this.
0: Yeah, actually, journals have a grade that they're all given, and that's impact factor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So academic journals, um, the number of... The average number of citations that your articles get, right? It's, that is factored into it? Yes. Right. So mm-hmm. it's the
4: number of citations that... Of the articles that you're publishing for the first two years. So they take, oh, a, they, they take into account the two years. Uh, so if you want to look at the impact factor of a specific journal... You're looking back at all the citations that occurred between now and October of 2014.
0: And then you divide it by the total number of articles. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So the number of citations divided by total number of articles. So to within be the last clear, years. within the last years.
1: So to be clear, this this grade, as you put it, that we're giving these journals, and the higher the grade, the more we all want to publish in there. Yes. This is more like a popularity contest grade. <laughs> it's not actually a measurement of the quality of the articles. In well, it. theoretically, yes.
2: yeah. And this is where librarians can come in, and we help researchers, and we look at other ways to measure impact factors. And depending on what your area is, your subject specialist librarian can help with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because especially if you go open access, you can have way more impact sometimes than publishing in the most prestigious journal. But it's hard to measure that. You have to search so many different Mm -hmm. databases and Mm -hmm. places. And sorry, I got interrupted there. uh, (laughs) That's great. So talk to your librarian if you're not sure (laughs) that you're measuring your impact factor correctly.
4: Yeah, so generally you want to publish in a good... Uh, journal. What with a, when we say good journal, we mean with a good grade. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, a, good, that, a high that, impact factor. Uh
4: huh. Because that means people will read it, and hopefully, people will use your research and so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. And you can say, "Well, yeah, I'm having an impact," and you should keep giving me money. You, you should continue uh, to give me money and so on and right, so forth. Because right. Because the idea
0: is that you got public money, so if a lot of people are citing your paper. Then that means it's impacting the public mm-hmm.
4: in a way, yeah. In and way. then,
1: and then you can go back to those funding agencies and to your bosses at the university and say, "Look what I did! I made all these publications in these hugely impactful mm-hmm. journals." Mm-hmm. And Which affects the system continue.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, but then, like, what if you just aren't fit for that kind of journal? Like, it depends on what field you're in, right? Mm-hmm. Impact factor that's high in chemistry. Might be radically different than one that's high in humanities. That's right,
4: true. absolutely. And so, so going, going back, so so we decided that we want we want to publish this, and we have We've identified a couple of journals that we are really excited to publish in, and then you submit it, um, and then you go through this process called peer review process, in which the editor receives your your article and gives it to three of your peers. Does a peer review process. Who
3: are not paid by the journal or anything. They're mm-hmm. just other scientists
4: who do this because this is what we do, right? Right. And it's scientists that are familiar with the area um, that you're studying. So generally, when you submit your paper, um, you say, well, these are the people that would be more knowledgeable about it. Um, and then the editor decides to contact three people. They read your article, they make comments, suggestions, and they say, Pretty much, they say yes or no. And yes, they can publish. No, they cannot publish. So, assuming you get the the green light, and and the editor, the reviewer say yes, this is a good one, and you actually publish. So then they send you back if you have any revisions or any stuff to do, um, and then eventually you get published. So you're very excited. You got your article published, and then. Here's what the money issue comes in and what mm-hmm. we were talking about open access. So most journals charge for you to access that article that you published. Mm-hmm. So if you just Google an article that any one of us here us for published, you're probably gonna hit a paywall. Yes. And it's gonna be somewhere between thirty to fifty dollars
2: mm-hmm. in average. Can I throw out a stat there? Yeah. Yeah. Only twenty-four percent. This is as of twenty fourteen. Um, of scholarly information that you can find online is actually accessible so when people say oh no I can google anything and find anything for scholarly information you can only read 24% of that you'll hit a paywall the other the rest of the time Uh yeah that's insane (laughs) yeah (laughs) crazy yeah Libraries are relevant.
4: (laughs) Yeah. And so when we want to, us as researchers, you know, we want to look at what other people are doing and get ideas from there. Um, So what we do is here, we're kind of spoiled here at the university, we're spoiled that (laughs) if we do Google, you know, um, Mm -hmm. since we are on the university's IP address, we won't be hitting a lot of those paywalls.
2: Exactly. Because
4: the university has already paid the bill. Right. So the so how does that, how do subscriptions work? If you can talk a little bit about that, uh,
2: it's kind of a broken game, to be mm-hmm. honest. Subscription costs are very high, and let's I liked that you started this by talking about let's say it's a publicly funded, like this is a taxpayer funded study that you've published. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the taxpayer funds it, you publish it. Now the taxpayer, in the form of student tuition, in the form of all of the costs. Mm-hmm. They, different ways to pay for university they're paying it again like they paid to fund the study now they're paying to access it which I mean you're paying for it twice Mm -hmm.
3: and I see everything through a rare disease set of glasses and so to me like a lot of our funding comes from patient organizations so these Mm -hmm. are citizens who have like kids who have diseases and they're doing all this fundraising which comes to us researchers which they're glad and excited to do And then a lot of them are interested in reading, like, what happened. And so it seems a little bit even less obscure when you say it that way. Like, these are families who funded us Mm -hmm. and families who would like to read our information, but they can't. Um, Because, like, you know, a lot of people see those costs kind of indirectly through tuition and stuff. Mm -hmm. But kind of that population, it's very, very visible.
2: Yeah, and cost varies. I mean, annual journal subscriptions for the sciences... Like $1,000 is probably a low average. Um, have you ever used the Web of Science database? That's a database mm-hmm. for searching yeah. a lot of different journals. What do you think the cost of that is annually?
4: $10,000.
1: $1, Bob.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> 250000 oh! Holy moly. <laughs> That's one of our more expensive packages. But we can't not have it, well, yeah, right? And I mean, it goes up thousands every year, the, uh-huh. the inflation on journals is insane. Right.
0: And like, if you took that away, theoretically, <laughs> if you took that away, the researchers would still need to access it. So then taxpayer money, which should be spent on developing research, is then spent on reading old research. <laughs> like, because we have to read what's been done.
2: Right. So there were some <laughs> new hires in uh, the medical department in the university. I I want to say last year, it might've been two years ago, recently anyway. And when they were in the hiring process, some of these people said, we can't work here unless we have access to these things. And Web of Science was one of them. And it was actually on the chopping block because the library's (laughs) budgets are in trouble. And so they came back and said, we are hiring these people. You have to have Web of Science. And then we had to say, okay, where are we cutting where you know mm-hmm. so it's wow. it's a big deal in terms of access to the researchers but it's also just a huge deal financial because if if we can raise the profile of open access journals and have more of them
0: mm-hmm.
4: then
2: we're not running into these problems of right. accessibility and cost
4: mm-hmm. so what we're saying when we say open access journals is that when you google it from your house google whatever we published you don't hit that paywall Or whenever we Google it, even here at the university, Mm -hmm. the library doesn't have to pay thousands of dollars for us to get access. Millions. (laughs) It's in the millions. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't have to spend that taxpayer money um, because it's open access. It's it's Mm -hmm. open to the public so we can just access them.
2: Exactly. And that's not to say there's not a cost. I mean, server maintenance right. and people actually cataloging and curating mm-hmm. these things, but it's not as high as all that. I mean, it's not that two over mm-hmm. user costs like it is now.
0: It's like not paying for the reputation. It's just actually paying for the cost of putting it up, up on it. Exactly. Down.
1: It sounds like that adds up to a couple of zeros on the end of those numbers. Uh, that's a pretty big inflation
2: Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: of the actual, like, physical infrastructure costs.
2: Right. One of the ways that people are getting around this, and this is something we do here, is having an institutional repository. Mm -hmm. So you could just publish something by putting it up on um, the university's institutional repository, which uh, the library runs, and... Then anyone can access it at any time. But we recognize that that's not the same as mm-hmm. publishing in a journal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, that's one way. One way There's just it. so many different ways to go about mm-hmm. open access.
4: And you're probably wondering why are we hitting these paywalls? Like where do they come from? Um, mm-hmm. Back in the day, people actually, or publish, publishers had to actually print these things pre internet pre internet and so that's what, that's that's when all the
1: What is this printing usually?
4: It's uh that's where a lot of the cost was printing this stuff.
1: Yeah, these journals are by and large owned by for-profit, you know, companies which are publishing houses mm-hmm. essentially. And yeah. the fact that it's all done online now doesn't change the fact that they are still, you know, private companies that publish these materials and it's been practiced for a very long time that, uh, researchers would publish through these companies and only with the internet has a really obvious, uh, design flaw in that become apparent.
4: Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so what, where, Grace was talking, uh, just a few minutes ago about green and gold open access journals is that, okay, so say you, you really believe in open access and you as a researcher, Want everyone to be able to access your research, and you say no. I'm going to publish in an open access journals because generally you can see if you look at the journal, it will say whether or not it's open access. Mm-hmm. So you say you want to, you want the, the public to look at at your research. Well, as as Grace was saying, sometimes you actually have to pay into that so your research can be open access. In some of these journals, uh, some of the the journals that that do have a paywall also allow you to publish uh, open access or have your article be open, mm-hmm. but you have to pay a very, very big fee for you to publish there. Mm-hmm. And again, it's with the money that you got from the NIH or whatever funding agency that you got. Mm-hmm. So that creates an issue of, you know, reusing yeah. this, this money that shouldn't be.
0: It's, it just sounds like we're just not being efficient.
4: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So like a big part of, um, of grants is, uh, like, so for NSF, if you get a grant and let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars, that sounds like a lot of money. It sure is a lot of money to me as a graduate student, but 50% of that is like not going to ever end up being money you can spend because it goes into overhead. Right, And so that overhead pays for things like the lights in your building being on and like the prints that you, the copier paper and stuff like that. But it also feeds in a little bit back to the university as a whole and theoretically should go to things like paying for journals. But, you know, whether that actually happens or not, I have no information. (laughs) But so, yeah, like, (laughs) so if you're getting a hundred thousand dollars, like automatically half of that disappears because it goes back to the institution, Right. And then the other half is what you're like left with. So you don't want to be spending that to
2: pay for people to be able to read the science. Right. So this is actually, can I plug something? This is like the perfect time to plug one of our (laughs) workshops. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So for open access week, the library has um, two big events going on, but we're also doing a lot of online digital content we're putting out into the world for awareness raising. We just had one of the workshops this Friday to kind of kick things off, but on the last day of Open Access Week, Friday, is
0: that October 28th? That yes, sounds right to though. me because the 31st
2: is Monday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah.
4: yeah, so Open Access Week started today, right?
2: Yeah, we actually kicked things off on Friday with a Creative Commons workshop, uh-huh. um, and now, like, internationally it's started today. Yeah. Right,
4: and, and we, should, we should say that, that it's, An international open access week. It's not just something that Grace and her team decided (laughs) to come up with, but it's, it's international. So, Mm uh,
2: yeah. So Friday the 28th, uh, there's a workshop in Ellis library on public access policies. And that is when you are working with grant money, but you still want to publish open access, Mm -hmm. how to comply with those policies. Mm. Um, the workshop is being led by Kate Anderson. She's the head of the vet med library here on campus She's so knowledgeable about open access and grant application and grant uh, compliance. So if that's something you're interested in learning more about, that's going to be a really good workshop. It's Friday. You can attend online or in person. It's 1 to 2 PM, Ellis Library 213. uh, And we'll be putting out all kinds of different ads for it this week.
1: And uh, where could we uh, get that information again if we wanted to see that online, for example?
2: So we'll be, um, we'll have it on all of the library's social media. We also have a library blog. It's library.missouri.edu slash news. We'll have all the information on there.
0: Cool. Awesome. What other events? Did you say there was another event that
2: Yeah, we kicked off already with mm-hmm. a Creative Commons workshop that I led, actually. Um, are you guys familiar with Creative Commons? Vaguely. Vaguely. So um, copyright law is pretty black and white and Creative Commons is this licensing structure that kind of works side by side with copyright law. Hmm. And it lets the um, creator um, define their rights a little better. So I make a lot of instructional videos and i want them to be shared i want them to be used um they're automatically under copyright because that's how copyright law works but i can now put a creative commons license on the bottom that says hey this is under copyright but please feel free to share Hmm. just give me credit i mean it sounds really straightforward but now that you know about it you might see more and more like on youtube you'll see a little like creative commons license on the bottom or something so i kicked off uh open access week with that event And all week we'll be on the library blog putting out a ton of information about open access and different things and different work that the librarians do. And then we're ending the week with that big workshop on Mm -hmm. public access policies.
4: Cool. That sounds sounds pretty neat. That sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I guess we should should mention also that the NIH, National Institutes of Health, does want to circumvent or... Go around the the using the taxpayers' money or doubling on taxpayers' money, and they actually have. Um, whenever you publish using NIH funding, they have this uh, portal called mm-hmm. PubMed, mm-hmm. where your research has to go into there. Now it doesn't go immediately after it gets published. I think it's a six-month embargo.
2: Yeah, that's actually the focus of the workshop, Mm -hmm. um, because PubMed does have that system, and Kate Anderson knows way more about it. Exactly. (laughs) I actually wanted to bring Tara Metacroft in today, but Mm -hmm. she... Today is at the Medical Library Association conference, presenting on open access. There you go. (laughs) She does um, hashtag Faculty Friday for the medical library, where she highlights faculty in medicine here who do open access publishing. So yeah, if you follow the medical library's Twitter, you'll see that every week. And she has a mm-hmm. poster on that today. <laughs> yeah, that's great.
4: That's wonderful. So yeah, so PubMed is actually a way to for the public to access the research that is being funded via the NIH. Um, NASA actually a few weeks ago released also their their open access central software called Open Space. And oh. they did
2: that in collaboration with Creative Commons. Oh, so cool. it, oh, look at this all tying <laughs> right.
4: <in. laughs> Yeah, so you, you can now access. That's awesome. Not restricted, obviously. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> NASA, NASA research. Uh, and I believe the NSF is wanting to do that as well or are pretty close on, on making all of their grantees do something similar to what NIH has been doing for years, for years
2: the government i think is really so this movement came out of academia right because mm-hmm. researchers libraries they were really feeling the cost but i think now after it's been presented time and time and time again to the government they're mm-hmm. like okay you're right like this is costing everyone money and we need yeah. to make this yeah. more efficient mm-hmm. so it's going to happen like what's
3: the what's the status on this are we getting close
2: it gets better every year, but it's just um, you were talking about the publishing or publication companies being private. They, you know, they don't want to see <laughs> their monopoly go away.
4: Their profits <laughs> go away. Yeah. Right.
1: Well, but, it would it would help if they weren't relying on a rather outdated need for exclusive control over the actual physical hard copy publishing of the material.
2: Yeah. You'll um, also see, and I don't have a good stat on this, sorry, but um, the majority of researchers who are actually being really brave and publishing in open access journals, they have tenure. Uh, so it's like these really new forward thinking young researchers who don't have tenure, they feel the pressure to not go the open access route. Right. So that doesn't help you. There's a lot of roadblocks.
3: Well, Mm. hopefully the tenured faculty are producing good work and will help improve the impact factor, right? So, like, as more people get into it and produce more quality, it, in theory, should kind of solve itself, seems like.
2: A couple years—actually, more recently than that, I think, there was a a study done here at Mizzou, and I'm totally blanking on the professor's name of the department. It must have been biology— where plants can hear themselves being eaten by bugs. Yeah, yeah I remember that one. Yep. He went open access. He was like, "I don't want to wait the six months. Um, I I have tenure. I'm just gonna put this out into the world." And at that time, that was the highest impact ever measured <laughs> at Mizzou because he went that alternate route of like, you know, I want the, I want popular media to pick mm-hmm. this up as well as as academia. Um, and then he measured kind of the general news impact as well as the academic impact. And it was just astronomical, mm-hmm. but this was someone very well established who mm-hmm. felt like they could just kind of say, I'm going to do this my way. Yeah. And all the librarians were cheering him on. Yeah, <laughs> but, that,
1: but, that, yeah. that, uh, came from the lab of Rex Cocroft, mm-hmm. a, uh, a professor here in the division of biological sciences at Mizzou.
2: Thank you so much for getting <laughs> the name there. Cause yeah. that was just such a cool and thing. And I remember seeing
3: it on Facebook. Like, exactly. Yeah, no, I that saw that it doesn't, on doesn't happen media very often, but yeah, I, I saw it through yeah. the university and through multiple different articles. People would be posting or, you know, reposting whatever articles from different sources. So, it, obviously effective.
2: I mean, time is a piece of this too. We've talked about money and general accessibility, but uh, usually open access publishing is faster. Mm-hmm. Um, there can be legs, and and I mean, part of that is necessary, right? Like editing is important, <laughs> peer review is important, but um, sometimes open access publishing goes faster too.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. quick quick correction on what I just said. It was oh. both Dr. Cocroft and Dr. Heidi Apple from the Plant Sciences Department. I was both to Say that different. sounds like Dr. Apple's research. It, yeah. it <laughs> is, um, but uh, that's uh, that's Dr. Google letting me know about <laughs> who did these.
0: Cool. Okay, so if you're interested in the Public Access Policies Workshop, we put a link to it on our Facebook, um, or, like, more information about it on our Facebook. Um, So thank you so much, Grace Atkins, for joining us. If just before you go, you could answer a question, or I guess a modification of a question we always ask, do you have any advice for any listeners out there who
2: might want to become librarians? Oh, my gosh. Um, (laughs) I thought you're, okay, I'm going to ignore your question. (laughs) Completely. That's fine. And just, I, like, use the library. Please use the library. <laughs> we can do so much for you. We can measure impact factor. We can get you those journals. We can do whatever you need. Just don't hesitate to reach out. Libraryanswers.missouri.edu. All the different ways you can ask a librarian. Okay, thank you again.
4: Thank you, Grace. We'll go on a short musical break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Big Electron. All right, welcome back to the big electron. Thanks for listening. We're talking about open access, something that, as you can probably tell, we're very passionate about. <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a good thing. We we like it, and um, hopefully we we're sharing some of the some of the good stuff that that can happen out of out of open access. So there is um, there's a, a website that collects a whole bunch of data about open access. Uh, it's called RightToResearch.org, and pretty much. There's this, um, what do we, what should we call it? There's, there's uh, all this data that they collected about how certain pieces of the academic world, I guess, um, can benefit from it. So they go from how students can benefit to how doctors and patients and the publishers, entrepreneurs, the public, obviously, and developing countries even. Oh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the, one of the main, so we said that it was International Open Access Week and the U.S. has a lot of money and it's, even though we don't, sometimes we don't feel like the U.S. invests a lot of money in research, it's still more than everyone else in the world. We have very good researcher institutions here in the U.S. that you know, pretty much do the, the the groundbreaking research that goes around the world. Yeah. But what happens when you're a scientist, when you're a chemist, when you're a doctor in like India or Nepal or Right. It's ridiculous you know, to say that South Africa just
0: because where you are, you shouldn't have access to all the data that everyone mm-hmm. else has access to. Mm-hmm.
4: And, and, and you know we're having here we just had grace uh, mm-hmm. telling us you know we cannot access some stuff. Um, I can give you an example I got published in a journal that we don't have access to hmm. that the library here like <laughs> we got invited to that to that uh, journal but because you know it's it's so expensive we cannot have access to all the journals yeah. we we don't have access like I had to request, for someone else to download my paper. That's my paper that I wrote, <laughs> okay? Well, let's, that
1: <laughs> let's clarify something out loud just to make it really <laughs> explicit. Um And not in a radio unfriendly way uh, in terms of how I use that word. Um, We want, as scientists, our research to be available to other people who want to read it. Absolutely. Including ourselves, obviously. But not only ourselves, not only other people at the same university. We want that to be as widely available as possible. Mm -hmm. That's, I think I can safely speak for the vast majority of scientists, when I say we want our material to mm-hmm. be accessible to other scientists mm-hmm. and to the general public, if at all possible.
3: And yeah, I know absolutely. it used to be kind of a practice where if you had a, um, you would get some like hard copies of your article. And if someone contacted you and said, hey, I would like to read your article, but I can't, you would just send it to them. Uh, so yeah. I, I don't know if that was technically legal or I don't actually know if that's how it worked. But I know I've seen professors that just have all these stacks of papers just ready to send to people kind of to avoid that.
1: Yep. There's giant stacks of hard copy published articles from the old days uh-huh. on my boss's desk, <laughs> 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 but not on mine.
4: Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, one of, one of the main things where we see a, a big, big push for open access is in developing countries because they want to be able to access the latest research. Right. Mm-hmm. So imagine if you're a doctor in, I don't know, Ghana, and, and you have this patient that you don't know what's happening, uh, wouldn't you want to know, like, you know, how they can access the latest mm-hmm. medical knowledge so that they can, you know, um, get on new medical practices yeah. and help their patients? Mm-hmm. And, you may,
1: <laughs> and you may not have the massive institutional resources that let you get access to this the, yeah, no, mm-hmm. by paying the rates that we would be charged here in the United States, for example.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've yeah, heard... Or, I've heard stories about people who, you know, are desperate enough that they, I'll just pay the, I'll, I'll pay whatever they want. And so they spend all this money and you're, you're making that decision based on the abstract, which in the abstract, you (laughs) make this sound like the best paper that's ever been published. And that's, you know, not always helpful for what the person wants.
1: The abstract is about a one or two paragraph summary of the Mm -hmm. paper that if in some cases reads more like a commercial than an actual Uh uh, summary, although. They shouldn't be a commercial, but sometimes.
4: Yeah. So for example, you know, we we know that HIV AIDS, it's very prevalent in Africa. So you have like the population there that you can study, you know, and you can probably develop something. But if you don't have access to the latest research Mm -hmm. here on the Western world or from, you know, uh, the United Kingdom or some other places that have a little bit more money. To invest in their research, then, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a stallment of research and investment in, in technology and medicine.
1: There are programs out there from some of the publishers, um, that, um, is basically provide a discounted rate, mm-hmm. uh, for access to their, their journals and articles in, um, in certain countries, but that's not, a, um, a standard practice in the sense that they don't all have a an easy way to mm-hmm. do all the same thing. Like all the different publishing companies set their own rules about how they're going to do that. Just, so it's, it's sort of um, scattershot in terms of what you're going to get.
0: From I just thought about something. This is on the topic of open access, but kind of deviates from immediately what we're talking about, which is it's like encyclopedias. Remember mm-hmm. when you had to buy encyclopedias yeah. or like, right. And like now we have Wikipedia, which don't even pretend like you don't use. (laughs) I mean, if I don't understand something, anything, Mm -hmm. I I go to the Wikipedia page first, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like that. It's like just making that jump from those hardback encyclopedias that you have to buy in a Mm -hmm. collection of like 26 volumes, one for each letter or whatever Mm -hmm. to Wikipedia where anybody can access it. And, you know, it becomes this like collaborative Mm fully formed thing
4: mm-hmm. yeah and um, real quick before we move on to, uh, to something similar um, as Grace mentioned you know it, it eventually reached the government that like at first it started here in academia mm-hmm. and, and internationally actually pr- President Obama noted this uh, in 2009 at the uh, he addressed the American Medical Association and he said you know we need doctors and patients need access to the latest research that is being put out there mm-hmm. um so it's it's something that you know it's slowly reaching and and as as with anything you know you're breaking one very well established system to go into another one and so that's we're in that transition of uh the publishers holding on to what they knew and and this new idea that's coming in this new things that are coming in that that people are hesitant to to make that change but it's slowly happening so Mm-hmm. You're probably going to be able to access more and more research as, as it continues, as yep. time passes. So hopefully, yeah. Vote for open access.
1: <laughs>
4: sure. You probably have to write that in.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> so what are some of the benefits of, of open access, Madeline? Yeah. So um,
3: I found this really neat um, bit that, so you can you can have all sorts of different success stories that come from open access Um, events. I don't know what you call that. But um, so there's a group that took a bunch of these um, these success stories. So for example, one that they mentioned was that this student was invited to join the board of an environmental nonprofit group because her thesis was found on a just through an online search. So a nonprofit organization isn't going to have access to all the fancy journals and um, especially this huge wide variety that we often have at the university. So this is, you know, really important for this girl's life. She got um, this really awesome opportunity. And so um, this group kind of read a bunch of these uh, open access success stories and kind of categorized them. And so they um, divide them into um, impacts, including demonstrating achievements, and so that would be like open access um, success at the institutional level. So at that point, you um, have better alumni connections, you have a better reputation, which what university doesn't want that? Um, It aids in your accreditation with um, whatever uh, relevant uh, regulating agencies there are, and um, strengthens your recruiting. For not only students, but for other faculty and stuff like that. So, um, so that was their institution. Well, that was some of their institution um, bonuses, I guess. Um, as far as open access for authors, so the scientists, right? Um, that mostly relates to reputation building. So, um, you can it says preserving scholarly legacy. Um, Or developing a niche field, which is actually, that's a really interesting, um, an interesting thing. I know um, one of the, one of the first and most, I guess, biggest success stories of open access is a a journal, a journal on the internet about the internet. And so, yeah, how else would you have? a journal for something that we haven't really defined yet. You know, like when it, when it was at the beginning of the internet, nobody could really predict what it was going to be. And so it ends up being a niche, which is a very cool, um, again, bonus of this. Um, And then there's a advance or advanced. Gosh, what's the word advantages? There we go (laughs) um, for readers, which is advancing knowledge. Um, so which affects public policy, Mm -hmm. which is hugely important, um, linking global experts, kind of like we were talking about, and even just building local community, um, updating practitioners like, uh, Jackie said. Uh, so yeah, there's just kind of a neat kind of meta view of all the different ways that open access can, um, affect the different parties who might be interested in it. Mm -hmm. So this was at, um the digital commons dc uh, telegraph so
0: yeah i enjoyed it yeah so real quick um before we go on a musical break the 2000 so every year um open access week kicks off at an event at the world bank and this year's theme is open in action sounds catchy yeah not sure what it means.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll go find out.
4: <laughs> All right, we're going on a short musical break, and, you'll, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Big Electron. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll come back to <laughs> the Big <long> Electron. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's fine. Adam was dancing. We're dancing. <laughs> we're dancing yeah, in here. it's a good day.
1: Yeah.
4: Before before winter's coming Anahita. I mean, fellow Floridian. I mean, <laughs> I'm not so Florida. What? Yeah,
1: that's
4: interesting. Fellow Southerners. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, so we're well, talking about we're talking about open access.
1: Yeah, and and speaking of of having a good day and having fun, <laughs> I just want everybody in the whole world to know <laughs> that right before the show, I spilled half a cup of coffee all over myself. <laughs> um, and this is important. Uh, because. <laughs> Uh, apparently it's reflective of a larger truth of human nature or something Yes That that we spill coffee on ourselves And that and requires
0: is, to be studied Yeah yep. I think It's important And I
1: like this shirt too and I'm upset I'm uh, sorry <laughs> I think
0: it's a universal trait of humans that yeah. drink coffee, to spill it. <laughs> I,
1: I understand that we have some further information along those lines. Is we that right? We do.
0: Anita? So I was perusing some open access journals um, to see what's out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I came across this article. Um, it's titled, A Study on the Coffee Spilling Phenomena in the Low Impulse Regime, which <laughs> I absolutely the love. first part made <laughs> sense to me. What? <laughs> so uh, this a group of researchers studied um, what happens when we walk with a cup of coffee and, um, you know, coffee inevitably spills out. Oh, <laughs> oh, I
1: hate that. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I don't know if you guys feel the pain I feel, but Starbucks lids yeah. do not stay on. No. Yeah.
3: The hotter the drink, I'm pretty sure the more likely it is to come off so um, that it yeah. makes sure to spill
0: on you. Okay, so this group of researchers published in an open access journal um, and they studied uh, what causes the coffee to spill out of the cup. <laughs> and um, Very, very scientific. It, they did a really it good job. Impressive. So they studied two different types of glasses: um, what the shape of a cylinder, so what a regular coffee mug would be, as well as like a red wine glass. Because that doesn't spill as often? Because they spill under different conditions. Oh. And it was kind of using these two glassware to determine what the different conditions are. And it it kind of has to do with the cadence of your walk. Huh. So So um, the speed of your steps and the cadence of your walk uh, will oscillate the liquid at a certain frequency. Okay. And if you're at... One frequency, the wa- the coffee is more likely to spill out of a wine glass than out of a coffee mug. Okay. So they found these frequencies that correspond to coffee spilling out of these different glasswares.
4: Huh. Do they do they link that to, like, the time of the day or like, you know, when you're in the morning and you're, like, barely waking up? <laughs> how grumpy up, you how are. How grumpy, <laughs> like, and then going to that 3 p.m. slump and, like... Well, I... I there it's not explicitly said
0: but I can see kind of like you know you have to have a certain walk so some people mm-hmm. don't have like that swing in their hips that makes the oscillation Rhythmical, mm-hmm. and so if you have a rhythmical walk, then you're more likely to have it spill.
1: Well, and Jackie, I feel like you're that right. Means I must have that kind of walk.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jackie, you're right. Like in the morning, you would have a different cadence. Like if I'm running late to work versus, hey, I'm on a coffee break with my coworkers. Yeah, it's very different. A, a different frequency that I'm using.
1: Yeah, my my tendency to spill correlates with my tendency to panic. So I think <laughs> being late to something would make that happen for sure.
0: And then it, also you can't ignore your hand sway. Sure. So it's your walk with your hand sway, but I think those go hand in hand. So how they do they do this? Well, they did something really cool. At first, when I saw the photo, I thought it was implying something completely different (laughs) because they have a coffee mug with an iPhone on it. And I I was like, surely they're not suggesting I use my phone as a lid. (laughs) It's waterproof, expensive lid. (laughs) But they used um, an iPhone. So the same thing in an iPhone that counts your steps, or Uh that would also be in like a Fitbit type of device. Uh Uh-huh. Um could be used to kind of count or yeah, or unless you the play swag. certain
3: games, and yeah, exactly,
0: yeah. so I thought that was really cool that um they measured something that affects our lives. I mean my life every day. <laughs> I'm a coffee spiller. I can't uh-huh. get from memorial union to the chemistry building without mm-hmm. a couple of drops on me, if not the whole
1: no. cup. <laughs> and as, as we've already discussed, I also spill coffee on myself yeah. all the time. So that's at least half the room right here.
0: So I did mean. they teach you how to do it right then? They did teach us how to do it right. And the first suggestion, the best way to avoid spilling coffee is to disrupt... That cadence, that oh. oscillating motion, and you can do that by walking backwards. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: You know but, uh, that wasn't really where I thought this was no, going. No,
3: I, th- I thought you were gonna going to say to pause every once in a while. You
0: know, it really is a less than ideal method to fix <laughs> this because all you have to do is bump into something or someone, yeah. and then coffee spilled. But it would disrupt your natural cadence because you're not used to walking backwards. <laughs> by like really. Are you? Well, eventually.
3: <laughs> after so I many mean, coffee runs, I think it would be.
0: But then I guess you're allowed to walk forward. <laughs>
3: then I, you start walking sideways.
1: I read this. This is totally from memory and it may be nonsense. But I read that a long time ago in Sweden, they used to drive on the left-hand side of the road. Uh-huh. And then they changed their laws so that now we're going to change traffic to drive on the right-hand side of the road. And for a few months after they made that change, the number of traffic accidents decreased dramatically.
0: Because people were paying attention. They uh-huh. were paying
1: so much attention. <laughs> To their huh. driving, and then they got used to it, and it went right back to as bad as it was before. Aww. So, um, that, that walking backwards <laughs> thing would be a wonderful temporary solution. Maybe we maybe then you need to start walking forwards again, yeah, yeah. and just be constantly very Confuse your yourself style. all the yeah. time.
0: Well, they came up with a more realistic solution. <laughs> oh, um, oh, that's good, <laughs> which they dubbed <laughs> I'm sorry, it's funny to me the claw hand method. <laughs> So (laughs) it's if you make your hand kind of like a claw that like cups around the the rim. Yeah. Around the almost like your hand is the lid Uh of the cup. And well, yeah, that, you
4: don't want to burn your hand. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you need but you will spill now. You need so to you do won't the burn claw
0: <laughs> motion so there's some.
4: What if you oh. have sure fingers like you? Well,
0: <laughs> okay, Jackie,
4: unnecessary.
0: <laughs>
2: but, but what it does
0: is it changes the Y oscillation frequency. <laughs> okay. So it changes the oscillation frequency in one direction enough mm-hmm. that it stops it from spilling over the cup.
4: Wow. <gasps> so you won't burn your hands. You won't burn your hands. Or Even if you, you
0: have small a, fingers.
3: Like on a heat. Or thanks, you could Jackie. use your iPhone as a lid. <laughs> or that would probably or walk
0: all backwards,
1: backwards. <laughs> all of, Or all of those.
4: Yeah. <laughs> all
1: of the options.
4: <laughs> you know, okay. it's stories like this that, that make like the publishing company say... Well, see, what's the point of publishing an open access? is not like breakthrough research.
1: Just in case yeah. we've given the wrong impression, there are lots of wonderful stories <laughs> out there, which a little bit more stories. seriousness of purpose than this, at least on the surface. This, yeah,
4: on this the
0: one surface. was a fun article, but I skipped over a lot of the statistics and physics and math that it went through simply because... I don't know it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: but for for physicists, it doesn't make great. This stuff is not so much just by itself. Oh, now we know how to walk without spilling our coffee. But this is reflective of principles of physics. Oh, fluid mechanics
0: of how fluids work under different constraints. Mm
4: -hmm. So there, there is like you want to call it real science behind (laughs) it. Like there, there are equations. There are. There, there was deep thinking going behind this yeah. thing. Physics
3: often comes up with really obscure uh, inspiration, I guess. I, I remember reading about an article that um, they found why girls' ponytails swish the oh, way that they do. Yeah, that's really cool. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Wait, why do I care? And then in the article, they told you, like, mm-hmm. this is why we care about it. Or these other non-ponytail related reasons That's really funny. But yeah, it sounds like
0: so a fun field <laughs> When I run my and I have a ponytail at a certain height uh-huh. After the run, it'll be in a spiral oh. And I always wondered why, why that height that? had to huh. be there Well, maybe they could tell you Which is something I wouldn't expect to be physics But it mm-hmm. absolutely is It is totally physics Totally physics
4: Yeah, it's just movement and so, Dynamics
1: So coffee, fluid, yeah. dynamics, fluid <laughs> dynamics One and the same
4: <laughs> Yep yeah, so with that, uh, thanks for listening and listening to our rambles. <laughs> We're serious most of the time. Yeah.
0: I wanted to echo something that Grace said, which was go to your library, use your mm-hmm. library. Our librarians here at the University of Missouri are fantastic. Janice is the chemistry department
4: librarian,
0: mm-hmm. and she is awesome.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and they have a lot of resources, and they're super knowledgeable. of. It's not just... Books or the way we pictured somehow in our heads how librarians work. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's it's so much more. It's a lot of a lot of information that is available. Yeah, so if There's you happen a to be,
3: degree. Yeah. yeah, 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 they're really knowledgeable. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And just off topic, further promotion. Go to your like public library too, just yeah. purely because it's awesome, not because it has anything <laughs> to do with what we're talking about right now. Just because they're amazing. So use
4: yeah, them. yeah, use them. Knowledge is power. So with that, uh, thanks for listening to the Big Electron on KCAU 88